Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Becker's Facilities. High pressure washing, facility maintenance, builders clean and commercial sanitizations. They do it all. Check them out at beckersfacilities.com.au. Here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, where today we are joined by NBL and sports broadcaster, analyst, and writer, Liam Santa Maria. Welcome to the podcast, Liam. How are you going? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Enjoying a bit of sunshine on this Sunday afternoon. So, Liam, what was growing up like for you? It was good. It's a lot of basketball. Um, we're a basketball family in the uh, in the eastern suburbs of, of Melbourne, two older brothers, so... Uh, daily battles in the backyard and um, yeah, just work my way up through through school in the burbs, playing basketball each and every day. When did you first like pick up a basketball? I'd say it would have been about about four or five. First time picking it up with um, yeah, my two older brothers sort of taking up the game. And then uh, my first game I played was when I was six maybe it just turned seven none under eights game at Nunawading stadium for the wattle park saints um it had been uh it had been a long journey well it, what it seemed at the time for me as a little tacker a long journey to get out on the floor i'd been hanging around the the um the sidelines with my brothers playing and begging to be able to to be able to join a team and was um yeah i remember that day like it was yesterday just um finally getting to pull on the singlet and get out and play. Can you tell me about what your pathway to the NBL was like and what you did to get on the list of the Victoria Titans? Well, I um, I was a Melbourne Tigers junior. Um, so uh, I was playing, you know, my domestic ball out there with Nutter Wadding, but, um, but I was playing uh, my, my rep ball with the Tigers. So I had a bunch of really great coaches working my way through the juniors. Ken Watson was my my under 12s coach and he's an absolute legend of Australian basketball is the man really who taught Lindsay Gaze the game, who taught Andrew Gaze and so on and so forth. So he was kind of the godfather of, of Aussie hoops and, and he taught me the game from a very young age. And, and then I had his son, Ray Watson as under 14 coach. I went on to have um, Al Westover, two time NBL championship coach as my under twenties coach. And from there I, um, I started training with the Melbourne Tigers. So um, throughout the week, training with Andrew Gaze, Leonard Copeland, Mark Bradkey, Marcus Timmons, uh, these types of guys. I had a couple of years doing that. And I got to the point where I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't going to get a go. I wasn't going to get a shot with, with the Tigers under Lindsay Gaze. I was never a big fan of undersized point guards, especially those who couldn't shoot. So that, that wasn't probably going to be my track. So I went off, dedicated myself to, to what I was doing in the state league. And, um, and then I got an opportunity to come and join um, Brian Gorgian and the Titans at their uh, preseason because um, I'd played against a bunch of their guys in, in a final and Gorge had been there that night. And so I got the, the opportunity to, to, to join practice and then um from there i had the, the chance to join in some preseason action and you know there's some injuries and whatnot and um he called me in the office and said he was keen to sign me up so um that's pretty much how i stepped my my way to basically achieving my dream of playing pro hoops what was that like to sort of be um at the same club as brian gorgian 
it was it was incredible. And I was a Melbourne, being a Melbourne Tigers junior, I was a, I was a, a fan of their NBL team, obviously growing up. So Gorgian and uh, his Magic teams were kind of the arch rivals. Uh, I'd been cheering <laughs> against them for so long and and calling for him to get off the court and all that kind of thing. And then um, and then once. I'd made my way to start practicing with him in the, uh, you know, in 2001, I got to realize how uh, much of an incredible coach he was. Um, I'd never, never worked as hard on the day to day. than I, I started to do with the Titans under Gorge, uh, lifting weights and, um, getting shots up and, and, you know, his team practices were, were very, very intense. So, I learned a hell of a lot about the game um, from my small time that I spent with him on the floor. In 2008, you stepped away from um, playing basketball um, altogether. Why did you decide to sort of hang up the boots and did you have an outlook on what you were going to do after playing? It's a good question. Um, I'd had a rough trot with injuries over the uh, the preceding kind of three or four years. I'd, um, I'd broken... Uh, my foot broken my fifth metatarsal and had some surgery there. And then I'd snapped my Achilles tendon in 2004, which was a, a big injury. And then, and then the couple of years prior to, um, to hanging them up, I, I felt like I was just having a lot of lower limb injuries, torn calves and, you know, strained hammies. I, I had some uh, bone spurs in my ankle. I needed to have surgery there. And, it was just all becoming a bit too difficult as a, as a part-time player. I felt like I was spending a, a full-time recovering from injuries um, when I was only like a part-time player at the time. So decided to hang them up. And um, at that point, I'd actually already started teaching. Um, I'd, I'd got my teaching degree and I'd got into the teaching game. So um, just threw everything I had uh, into that at that point. In 2013, you started the challenge of like beginning a new career. How did you first start um, your journey to the media side of basketball? And what were those first few years of experience like for you? They were full on, Max. Um, <laughs> and it was, a, it, was a big, it was a big endeavor. Um, I can remember the day we were, uh, Tommy Greer and I were, were housemates. Um, a little while before that, we'd grown into becoming best mates. He'd been best man at my wedding. And, we're walking along the street and he started talking to me about the idea he had of, of starting up a website. Um, and we sort of brainstormed it from there and um, we'd already been doing some kind of podcasting and we thought, all right, well, we'll, we'll align the podcast with the website and we'll, we'll start this thing up. Um, so we started up the website downtown and um, the idea was to kind of cover a, Australian basketball um, in depth um, in a kind of fun, in-depth way, more than just kind of game previews and game reviews. We'd kind of um, get stuck into the stories of, of the players and of the teams and provide some analysis and, and have some fun with it. So we started that up and we, we recruited some people to come and join us for the ride. And um, we, we built that thing into a really kind of highly respected um, place on the internet for, for, for fans of, of Aussie Hoops to to come and um, consume content. We felt like there wasn't that kind of content in the, uh, especially in the NBL space at all at that time. And we uh, started to put it together and, um, you know, it was a lot of work. You know, we wanted to make sure that there was new stuff, fresh stuff of a high quality on that site every single day. So 
I was writing, podcasting, editing, managing the website, uh, doing all these things and just had my first child, my wife and I. So we were juggling, uh, you know, lack of sleep and still working full time as well. So those first couple of years were a lot of late nights, a lot of hard work, but um, it was a lot of fun as well. You wrote an article in 2015 in the lead up to uh, the Aussie Boomers versus the New Zealand Tall Blacks game. For those who haven't read it, can you explain like a bit about the article and um, what that sort of meant for you? Yeah, it was a um, it was an article called "What the Tall Blacks Run and How to Defend It," um, and it was a big series, a huge series for for the Boomers because um, you know essentially the the, the winner of that two game series was was going to qualify for the 2016 Olympics um it was a, it was a big big deal and you know, speaking with Andre Lamanis um earlier this year um he was talking about how he was really nervous going into that series because the expectations always there that the boomers are going to beat the tall blacks but that was a good team you know Mick of and Isaac Foto and uh, Corey Webster and um, these guys that have played so much together and, you know, were such high-level players. So um, you never know what can happen in a two-game series. Uh, they come out and catch fire, as Corey Webster ended up doing that night at, at Rod Laver Arena, and you just never know how it could play out. So um, it was also big because we had some of our big NBA guys in town playing on home soil in the green and gold, Paddy Mills, Andrew Bogut, and um, these kind of guys. So... It was a big series and um, I set about kind of scouting the, the New Zealand team and, um, you know, putting down on paper what, what they run and, and, and how you'd go about defending it. We were watching grainy clips of their, ga- of their streams of their games in, in China in the weeks leading up and breaking it down. And, um, and yeah, it was a piece that got a, got a fair bit of traction, you know, like a, it wasn't a lot of that kind of stuff being written in, in Australia about our Australian team's um, prior to that, and um, I got a fair bit of attention. I remember Andrew Gaze meeting him in the um, in the elevator uh, in the pregame. He was heading up with John Casey and Shane Hill to go up and call the game, and he said, "Mate, great piece. Um, you know, really helped me in the uh, in the preparation." I remember um, running into Mick Downer, who was the assistant coach of the Boomers and was kind of responsible for scouting the teams, um, the opposition in the lead up to that series. Running into him in the car park. Uh, the morning of that game, and he said, "Mate, you done all my work for me. Um, it's all there. It's all there on paper." So it was fun to get that kind of feedback, and um, it was, I think it was a piece that um, kind of changed things for me as a writer because um, a lot of people took notice of, of that piece and um, started to really respect uh, my analysis of the game at that point. Um, again, in 2015, you had your first sort of taste of TV broadcasting doing the preseason NBL blitz. What was that like for you? And can you talk me through your first game? It was a thrill. Um, it was a real buzz. Um, you know, obviously I love, I love the NBL. I, I love the, the, the Aussie pro league. I'd played in it. I'd grown up watching it. I'd fallen in love with the game, watching the NBL. Obviously I was a fan of, of the NBA and, you know, it'd been great watching that. And I dreamed of perhaps, you know, as a youngster going on to, to play there as we all do. Yep. But the NBL was my first love when it came to, to basketball. So I felt like it was a real honour to get to get asked to, to be part of that broadcast. You know, it was just 
the preseason and it's only really the hardcore fans that are locked in onto watching that. And it was a stream, wasn't on TV or anything like that, but I'd been doing some, uh, some radio work with SEN over the, the, the preceding um, year or so. And that had been going really well. And I thought, Oh, this is a real, um, real honor and a privilege to be asked to come and call these games. So I went up and kind of got ready. Um, I was going to be calling alongside Matt McQuaid, who's a um, you know really experienced quality broadcaster. And um, I can remember that, I can actually remember the seconds counting down to the opening tip of the first game and being a little stressed um, and just taking a few deep breaths to, to kind of come to terms with the moment and, I can remember thinking, oh man, can I, can I get out of this? Is it too late to get out of this? Because I'm a bit nervous, but um, locked back in, got, got into that first game. I'd hate to listen back to it. It's probably terrible stuff, but, um, <laughs> but, but that was my, my first experience of, uh, of broadcasting, uh, you know, TV broadcasting of the game and um, kind of uh, been able to step my way up from there. In 2018, you broadcasted that uh, NBL-NBA game in Utah. What was that like to sit beside NBA broadcasters? And can you tell me a bit about how you sort of got into that position? Well, it was really cool. Um, I'd been um, I'd been kind of obviously, you know, doing some work within the broadcasting space. And um, we'd been uh, covering, uh, I think we covered the NBA Summer League um, that year, maybe the year before, I can't quite remember, but we got cracking with that, um, providing some kind of extra coverage. And um, my man, Tommy, had gone over and covered the first year of the NBL-NBA games, um, including that remarkable Melbourne United-Oklahoma City clash. Yep. Um, and the second year of those games, it was a kind of expanded schedule. Um, there were, I can't remember how many games there were, maybe seven, seven games over 10 days, I think perhaps. Um, so it was a full on schedule of games and Tommy wasn't going to be able to do it all. So they asked me to go over and, and take care of the, um, the Salt Lake City uh, part of things. Um, the Perth Wildcats were going to be there. And then a couple of days later, the Adelaide 36ers were going to come into town and take on the Jazz. So they sent me over to Salt Lake and, um, that was great fun. Um, Craig Bowler-Jack, uh, Thurl Bailey, um, two really experienced broadcasters, got to jump in with those guys and um, and have a chat and, and be a part of the, the call. And, yeah, it was a great thrill. Um, it was a really obviously very highly professional production and um, it was only, you know, a few minutes that I was on the call with them, but but I learned a lot and it, it helped me a lot coming back and, and broadcasting NBL games. Um, that incredible experience. And I was, I was so proud of, of the fact that our NBL teams were out there on the floor competing on that grand stage. And um, it, was, it was super fun being a part of it. What did that mean for you personally and um, in terms of your career? Well, I hadn't yet um, started um, being an official part of the, the, the regular season um, TV broadcasting team. Um, I, I had been told that, you know, there was a very good chance I was going to be a part of it for that next season. Um, and so to go over and, and do those couple of spots 
were pretty big for me because you know they seem to to go pretty well. I got a lot of good feedback on them, and the, and certainly the producers of the NBL broadcast were really happy. Um, and the feedback I got from them was, geez, if you can if you can just bring that what you did there, if you can bring that into into the NBL broadcast, we'd we'd be really happy with that. So, I guess the biggest thing for me was it gave me a whole lot of confidence um, coming into my first season. Um, you know, calling alongside legendary broadcasters like like uh, John Casey and you know, Shane Hill and, and these types of guys um, that I could you know I could sit down and um, Dwayne Russell sit down and and call the game next to them and and do a good job. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a great stepping stone for me for sure. What's the art to broadcast with guys like Shane Hill um, and Dwayne Russell? What's the art to it? Um, Probably know your space, um, you know, know your space and, and uh, you've got to kind of, obviously, you just got to recognize that the quality of the people that you're calling and, and the, you're calling with, um, I guess, also quality of people that you're calling, the talent that's out on the floor and, and always be, you know, appreciative of that and um, just try to pick your spots. Um, you know, I know my role in, in that seat as an analyst um, is to, uh, you know, is to try to read the game and provide people at home with, um, a, a, some insights that, that that perhaps they haven't noticed or that can help them enjoy the game. So, just trying to um, feel the rhythm of the game. Um, know know your spot, stay in your lane, and um, have a bit of fun with it. That was something that I I I learned in my first year to kind of relax into the into the game. Enjoy it. You know, it's not life or death pro sports. And uh, certainly people sitting in their lounge rooms, um, you know, the passionate fans are, are, can feel like it is at times, but for the most part, you're, you're trying to switch off and enjoy watching some live sports. So to, to, to relax into that spot and, you know, find the, the humor in, in situations and, um, and the enjoyment of the game, I think was, is probably the, 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 the biggest thing I've learned over my first few years calling at that level. How did you get onto Fox Sports? Yeah, well, that that's just sort of the process of, of being a part of the NBL broadcast team. So the way things have worked the last few years um, in the NBL broadcasting space is that the league um, kind of owns and runs its own production. Um, so, and then from there... Um, they they strike deals with um, with uh, networks um, to run the games. So whether that's Fox Sports or or Channel Nine, SBS, um, you know ESPN, these different kind of uh, networks that have run the games over the last few years. It's really the NBL that runs uh, um, their own production, and they bring in some sort of outside help to to make that happen. So. I'm first and foremost kind of employed by the NBL in that regard. And, um, and then, so it's been part of the Fox sports call was really through the process of, of calling NBL games and, and, and Fox sports being the, um, the network that broadcasted them at the time. You co-host the NBL overtime podcast. Can you give us a rundown of the podcast and how it sort of all started? Like did the NBL come to you guys or did one of you have like an idea? It's the uh, it's the baby of Guy Neville um, at the NBL is the head of kind of uh, digital content, um, and you know he deserves all the credit in the world for for creating it. He um, 
he sort of came to me uh, early in the piece and said, I've got a bit of an idea. I want to put together a bit of a show. And, um, you know, this is how I kind of, you know, wanted it to look. He said, you know, I don't want to make it too much. You've got a lot going on already with the, with the broadcasting and the, um, you know, all the writing that you're doing and everything. And, I, you know, I don't want to put too much on your plate, but um, I'd love for you to be a part of it. Um, and so at that early point, we we're kind of looking of, at a situation where maybe I'd be a part of it, you know, every now and then, maybe, you know, every, you know, once a foot, you know, once a fortnight on a show, off a show, that type of thing, we'd see how it goes. And um, that was also, I think the plan with Corey, um, Corey Homicide Williams, my co-host and, and um, that, you know, it was going to maybe be a part of it at bits and pieces, but I can remember that first day when we, we came into the studio, we saw the setup. We got a vibe of, of how it was going to be alongside Cam Luke, and we shot that first show. And from that point, we we're in. Well, now this is this is <laughs> you, you're not kind of sparing the expense here. This is going to be a good show. Let's let's do this. So from that point, we locked it in, and we're going to be a part of it um, each and every week. And and the show's grown from there. And we're we're approaching. I think maybe next month we're going to come on our, our two year anniversary of the the start of the show and. Um, we've been smashing out episodes ever since. What's it like to work on that um, podcast with the great Corey Homicide Williams? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's good fun. Never a dull moment. Um, he's uh, you know he's obviously a a uh, you know a great uh, TV personality, um, and uh, you know he's got a lot of strong opinions, and he's got a an entertaining way of putting them across and. <laughs> Um, we sort of balance each other out, I think, a little bit on on the show. We, we very rarely agree, um, and and when we we trash it out, and uh, he's a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun to work with. I think the thing I really enjoy about working with Corey on the show is um, he he has strong opinions. He loves when we disagree, but he's not always. He doesn't love it because um, it's his chance to be right and for you to be wrong. He always looks at it and things have strong opinions and uh, talk it out and trash it out just like you would with your mates um, when you're, when you're talking about the game. So I, I really appreciate that element of him and, and a lot of each and every time we shoot the show. You host the NBL isolation conversation podcast as well. What's it like to talk to like the NBL stars and, what has this podcast sort of been like for you over the last few months? Yeah. Um, fun. Uh, something I kind of came up with earlier in the off season. We, you know, you, you could see earlier in the year that this was going to be, it was going to be no next gen camp. Most likely we're going to have no sort of MBL one happening across the country. So I needed to kind of come up with some other ideas to create engaging content um around the the kind of characters the the, the players within the league um and um you know keep the conversation going around the league over the course of the season so i sort of went to guy earlier in the off season and said you know suggested to him let's create a a sort of a bite-sized little show um where you know we tap into someone we shoot it over zoom keep it formal and casual um, sometimes we could go over a little bit of footage, you know, we can, we can go over some X's and O's with, with the guy, but 
um, generally just kind of on, on what they've been up to and seeing, tapping into different people in different situations, in lockdown, in quarantine, um, some people in different parts of the country out and about living a, a pretty usual life. Um, so it's been good um, and it's easy to shoot. You know, we just, we just set it up, we log in and smash it but um, keep it under 10 minutes, keep it bite size and, you know, good chance to check in with different, they're holding up over this crazy off season. You write lots of amazing articles each year um, for the NBL. Is it hard to sort of write consistent articles and how have you found that whole writing experience for yourself? Thanks, man. Um, <laughs> I'm glad someone's reading them. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it's fun, man. It's fun. I really enjoy it. I really love writing i love telling the different stories of of the players and the coaches and the games uh i think the most fun i have is kind of um uh, into my written stuff um so maybe analyzing players analyzing as analyzing signings i love the week to week of 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 the nbl season um and kind of recapping you know who was good and who was not so good during during each week of, of the season and um you know, breaking it down like that. So I, I enjoy the kind of mix of, um, of, of analyzing during the games on the broadcast, um, during the week on, on, on the show with Corey and Lou and Cam and, um, and then sitting down on my own late at night and pumping out some, some written content. Um, so, you know, I get kind of like the best of, of all those welts um, in terms of how I cover the game. Some NBL team rosters are complete, but one team to look at is um, certainly Melbourne United with now two important spots still free. And it's, um, of course, been a big topic of conversation. Who do you think um, are possible targets for them to sort of look at? Um, and who do you think they're going to sign if you, you or who you would sign if you were in their position? And is this your team? You're a Melbourne United man? Yeah, yeah I'm a big Melbourne United man. Okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, they, they do have an exciting, exciting squad. They're obviously they're going to roll Mitch McCarron out at, at point guard this year. Um, yep. So no import point guard, which is, which is a different approach. Got Shaley as the backup. I, I like that. Chris Golding, um, he's obviously going to be the main man at shooting guard. Um, and um, fascinated to see what Uday Bubba might be able to bring for him off the bench as their, their special restricted player and. Um, you know, obviously they've got uh, a Jack White, an exciting rookie uh, who is going to play minutes at the fourth spot. Dave Barlow, who's been had an outstanding career and still gets it done. Um, so yeah, they've got a lot of good pieces, but they're they're two imports: who they bring in at the small forward spot and who they bring in at the center spot are going to be key to to their success. They always have a, a pretty good budget, so that they they, yeah. they shouldn't be. They won't be looking at um, kind of budget options um, for these spots. I'll tell you one guy who caught my eye this morning on social media is Joe Johnson. ISO Joe, the, uh, the former NBA All-Star, who is no spring chicken, 39 years <laughs> of age, but he's in incredible shape um, and, you know, has, has, been, has been playing. I think, I think he would be really fun to have in the league. There's three teams, Melbourne, Brisbane... And who's the other one? I think Adelaide now are probably in the mix for a, um, for a kind of a small forward, a three, four, a guy who can come in and get buckets. 
So um, they're going to be all kind of competing against each other for the same type of guy in that spot. And um, would love for one of them to, to, to bring over ISO Joe. But I think that the primary target for me would be Scotty Hobson. Yeah. Um, you know, we all saw how good he was in the league last year. He's a guy, if he stays healthy and plays from go to woe throughout the regular season, could genuinely be an MVP candidate. Um, that kind of quality of guy. He's d- trying to get back into the NBA, so he's kind of prioritizing that right now. The breakers have gone in a different direction with Lamar Patterson, um, but I know he loves it. In the He loved it in the NBA last season, and his agent has said to teams, um, if it doesn't happen, getting back into the association, Scotty's open to coming back to the, to the NBL. So if I was Melbourne United, I would be, I'd be going ham after Scotty Hobson because he would be, a, I think, a great piece in, in that roster. And then, um, and then they need to bring in a five. And, and I don't think, you know, they need, um, I think they need to go for a little bit more of like a Josh Boone type yeah. than what they had last year in a Sean Long. Uh, Sean Long, obviously, I mean, he's a very, very talented player, but you've got to find bits and pieces that fit into your roster. And Boone, as a, as a screener and a roller, a rim roller, um, a high IQ player, a guy who doesn't need the ball, is not sitting there demanding the ball or counting his touches or watching his score tally. He's just focused on defending at a high level, screening and getting other guys open, smashing the glass at both ends of the floor and doing all the little things you need to win. Um, I think that's the type of guy that they need to go after at the five spot because they've got other score, really elite scoring weapons. Chris Golding, whoever they bring in at small forward is going to be that type of guy who I think they need to make a really strong emphasis off of offensively. So I think... If they brought in Scotty Hobson and, and a guy that's like a younger version of Josh Boone, yep. I think that would work perfectly for your squad. Um, the new NBL team has just been announced as the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. Um, would you have chosen a different team name for the team out of those five or six final names? I like it. I like it a lot. Do you like it? Yeah, I don't find it too bad. Yeah. I mean, I was... I'd said really early doors um, that, that when I first heard Jack Jumpers kind of suggested um, that I thought it was pretty cool. You know, it's, um, it was kind of going to be, if, if they went for that, it would be like a, a kind of a fun, different, unique type of option. Um, and I've sort of mentioned to a few people and I, and I said on social media uh, when they dropped the name that it's, it's the kind of name you see in the US college system all the time you know, where they've got teams like the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and <clears throat> North Carolina Tahirs, the Duke Blue Devils, these kind of two-word nicknames. Um, and then some funky names that you kind of don't really, at first, at first, most people probably don't know what they are, like the Purdue Boilermakers. People probably don't know what a Boilermaker is until they kind of look, look into a little bit more. And I think that's kind of what's happened a, a bit with the, with the Jack Jumpers. But it's, it's been great. I was on board with the Tridents. I thought that would have been a good name. I liked all the different elements of that. But I think the Jack Jumpers has hit the mark. They're going after kind of the kids and the families. And um, they did a great job with the launch. And I think the combination of, of all that and a little bit of the negative publicity that they got when they first dropped it 
has meant that everyone's been talking about the name and it's it's got the brand out there. So I think it's been a great result. If you were the Jack Jumpers, um, who would you select as their head coach? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, geez, there's some good options out there. Um, we've been flagging them over the, uh, the the last week or so. And, you know, I've thrown a bunch of names out there. Rob Beveridge is a championship coach who's yeah. who's out there and available. Um, and, you know, he would do a good job building that up. And, and there's some really good kind of um, assistant coaches, current assistant coaches out there around the league who, who are ready to take the next step. You know, guys like Adam Ford at Sydney, Judd Flavel at Southeast Melbourne. Um, I think Adam Caporn coming out of the center of excellence, assistant coach with the boomers, former NBL player. I think he's going to be a really good head coach in the NBL at some point. Um, my understanding is he had the Adelaide job. It was his, if he wanted it, ended up turning it down and, um, he's going to throw his hat in the ring for the Jack jumpers. So I think he'll be in the mix, but to be honest, if it was me, the guy I would bring in and give that job is Paul Hanare. Yeah former head coach of the Breakers, former head coach of the Tall Blacks, former assistant for your, your guys at Melbourne yeah. United, um, currently coaching over in Japan. And he is just an awesome coach. And um, I think, you know, he's going to be back in the NBL as a head coach at some point and whoever gets him will land a really high quality coach. And um, yeah, maybe it's a little weird bringing in a Kiwi to coach the Tassie team as in their debut season. But I think the most important thing is you, you get a guy who's going to be able to come in and get the job done. And um, he's a great dude, excellent coach. I know that he's, he's just starting his second year of a three-year deal in Japan. But I spoke to him recently and he said that um, he has a buyout in his contract after that second season. So if a team really wanted him, his current contract wouldn't necessarily be an out-and-out roadblock. You could potentially make it happen. So if I was Simon Brookhouse and I was the CEO of the Jack Jumpers, that would be the guy I'd be going after. Alamelo Ball played one year in the NBL and played absolutely fantastic. Um, what, uh, how high up in that NBA draft do you think he's going to go and to what team do you reckon he'll go at? so hard to tell um obviously i mean i i can say for sure he's going to be a top three pick i think it's a bit of a, a consensus top three at the moment it wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up going number one um and we do know you know which teams have those top three picks yeah. but I'm expecting there to be a little bit of movement at those stations um either on draft day or in the lead up to the draft wouldn't be at all surprised to see the Warriors trade that second pick. Um, you know, they're getting their guys healthy and they're going to be right back in the, the championship mix next season. So they may want to trade that, that pick and bring in a kind of a veteran or more experienced guy that can come in and help their team next season. And so, you know, who they traded that pick to, whether that's New York or, you know, someone like that, we don't know. Um, if you had to put a, if you put a gun to my head and Salim, you got a pick, tell me where he goes and who to. I'm going to say he goes number one to Minnesota. Yeah. Um, but I don't say it with a hell of a lot of confidence. And I also personally don't think that would be the best spot 
for him to land in terms of his development and and what would actually be the best outcome for him. So um, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, where do you think RJ Ham- Hampton um, might possibly go in the draft? I think he's going to... Um, he's a bit of a sleeper in this draft, to be honest. I think people are sleeping on on um, how good a career he's going to have. I think he's going to be a really good NBA pro. And, um, you know, those people, I think, that are currently, um, you know, picking him to go later in the first round, maybe outside the lottery, maybe somewhere in the early 20s. I think they're they're sleeping on him a little bit. Um, but I am starting to see a little bit more kind of momentum for him in terms of his his draft hype. So much of the pre-draft stuff is is about hype and building kind of reputation and um, and playing that hype game in terms of where you get picked. But I think the scouting on on him, the work he's been doing with Mike Miller during the offseason has been awesome. You can see some real growth in, in his stroke. Um, which is a bit of a question mark in his game coming in. And in the end, I think he's going to go in the late lottery. So somewhere in the early teens between 10 and, and 14. And um, I think he's going to be a really good pickup for whoever, whoever selects him. What would be your best advice to anyone who wants to make their way um, into sports writing or commentating or broadcasting and have a bright career like yourself? Um, well, thanks, man. Um, what would be my best advice? Um, get stuck in. That'd probably be my, my best advice. You know, like a lot of times people think, um, you know, that, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it'd be long a road or perhaps, you know, uh, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't got a journalism degree or I haven't done this or I haven't done that. And, and my advice would be, you know what, get stuck in, do really high quality work. And, um, you know, you never know what, what you might be able to achieve. So, you know, for me, I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I sit down there as a, as a broadcaster of NBL games and in the analyst chair, and I'm not a five-time Olympian like Andrew Gase. <laughs> um, you know, like I'm not a, a multi-Olympian, a legend of the game. I didn't bump chess with Charles Barkley like Shane Hill. I'm not a... At, you know, a, uh, a former MVP of the league like Corey is. Um, but um, I work hard on kind of bringing a, a, you know, a different perspective on, on trying to provide some different insights. And, and, um, and they've given me the opportunity to keep doing it. Um, and so my, my suggestion would be to, you know, people who are looking to put pen to paper or are looking to get into the, to the broadcasting game um, would be get stuck in, work on your craft. Um, always give it 100% and you never know what you might be able to achieve. Thanks, Liam, for coming on the podcast. It's been great having you. Awesome, man. Great questions and um, I love what you're doing You're uh, with, the, with the podcast. It's, uh, it's great stuff. Keep it up. Thanks, Liam. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. Please like this episode and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and tune in. This episode was brought to you by Becker's Facilities, your one-stop shop for facility maintenance services.